Good morning, friends. I'm glad to be with you today. This is uh, another Olympic Sunday morning. America keeps competing and everything is changing. It's hot as blue blazes in Atlanta and schools are gearing up, getting ready to start again. But you and I have gathered together today to listen to the word of God and to hopefully let the spirit of God shape our lives. I hope that's gonna happen today, wherever you are, whether you're at home or you're traveling, I'm excited that you are joining us for this part of our worship today. You know, in 2005, the movie Cinderella Man came out. It tells the true story of boxer Jim Braddock, who's played by Russell Crowe and his wife May, played by Renee Zellweger. As the movie begins, Braddock is at the top of his game. He's a championship boxer, is, is doing great. They are living the high life. Everything is wonderful. And then boom, the Great Depression hits. It doesn't take long at all for Braddock and his wife, like everyone else in America, to lose everything. They go from living the high life to living in a basement apartment where they really can't make ends meet. They don't have enough money to buy coal, to have heat. Their children are sick and they are just at wit's end. In a really tough situation, in a really tough scenario, they face a spiritual crisis. Let's take a look at what happens and how they handled that. Six seventy-four. How much to turn it back on? Four months. Forty-four twelve. If I work twenty-six hours out of every twenty-four, I still won't add up. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from my bounty. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been all prayed out, felt like there was nothing left to say or nothing left to pray, that you had just kind of reached the end and you couldn't pray any longer? I recall a conversation I had with my mother a number of years ago. She and my dad were engaged during World War II and, and dad was shipped overseas. And you all have heard me tell pieces of the story. He was actually shot and captured by the Germans, spent 10 months as a prisoner of war. Mom said that she reached a point during that period when dad was, was missing, was a prisoner. She didn't know how to pray. She didn't know what to pray. She said she 
just stopped praying. She was all prayed out, like Jim Braddock. And I think some of us tend to treat God almost like an ATM. It's a transactional relationship where we think if we do a couple of things, punch a couple of buttons, then God is going to give us what we want. Or, or we think that God's like a genie in a bottle that if we just rub the lamp and, and suddenly we get three wishes and, and we've got to be critical about those three wishes. But what if we punch those buttons and we don't get the money or, or we rub the lamp and we don't get our wishes? Do we tend to give up, to feel that we're all prayed out. We're in this series of messages that we're calling the teacher's twist where we're looking at stories that Jesus told in which he twists things, particularly towards the end, to open our eyes in a new way. Today we're looking at a passage from the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel, the first eight verses. This is a story that Jesus told to people who were struggling in their prayer life. Listen with me to the word of God. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I'll grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Amen. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. I always think it's important to look at the context of a passage that we're looking at. And, and right before this, near the end of the 17th chapter of Luke's gospel, uh, some of the Pharisees, the religious authorities, the leaders of the community come to Jesus asking when the kingdom of God is going to come. And Jesus has this back and forth with them a little bit. And then privately to his disciples, he starts talking about when God will bring justice to this earth. These are people who are longing for justice, longing for hope, and they can't find either one of them. They are ruled by an oppressive Roman government. They look to religious authorities who they see as, as uh, hollow and in some senses corrupt, and there is the tendency for them to give up. So Jesus tells this story how they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he creates this story about kind of a stock character of a judge. Now we miss some of the cultural nuances in this story. For instance, when the judge talks about the woman bothering him, it's not that she keeps knocking on his door. The Hebrew behind the Greek in this story literally means he feels as if he has been in a fight. He feels as if this woman has beaten him physically. When he says, she's going to wear me down by her continual coming, the language literally means to strike under the eye. It's, it's a euphemism that means 
this woman's going to give me a black eye. Now, probably not physically. Remember, this was a shame and honor culture. Uh, Cody Jensen talked about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago. This judge realizes that if he does not address this woman's case, she's going to wear him down. She's going to give him, in the eyes of the society around them, a bit of a black eye. So the judge relents in this shame culture and grants her justice. So the question then becomes, do we look at this story as something that we're supposed to see God like the judge. But this is part of the twist that Jesus brings to us. It's not that we are to compare Jesus to the judge, God to the judge. This is a contrasting reality. He twists things and says, unlike the judge, God will quickly grant justice. God is the opposite of the judge. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's a hard thing to do sometimes, and particularly when we feel like we're all prayed out. But let me contextualize a couple of things. One, remember that God's timing is not the same as our timing. Our timing is not the same as God's timing. In one of Peter's letters, 2 Peter 3 verse 8, Peter says this, do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. So while we ought always to pray and not lose heart, God is hearing our prayer and is preparing to respond to our prayer, but the timing doesn't fit what you and I want. We want that transactional reality where we punch a couple of buttons on the ATM and the money comes out or we rub the lamp and the genie appears and, and grants us our wish. We have to keep working away at it. Peter probably got that not only from the Lord, but he got that concept of God's timing from Psalm 90, in which in part the Psalm says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, like a watch in the night. We live today in a culture, I call it a microwave culture. We want everything right now, real fast. We don't want to have to wait. We want to have to work. We don't want to have to be patient. We want what we want right now. Like when we pray for patience and give it to me right now. We should always pray and not lose heart. We have to build the spiritual muscles of our prayer life in such a way that we, even when we feel like we're all prayed out, we can continue to pray. John Calvin, in some of his writing, had a number of what he called rules for prayer. And in one of them, and this is a paraphrase, he says this, expect your prayers to be answered. The answers may not come in the form you thought, but God is a good and loving parent who will faithfully give you all that you need, all that you ask in faith and genuinely need. It may not come the way we want it, it may not come the way we expect it. It may not come in the time that we hope for. But as the Apostle Paul taught us, we ought to pray without ceasing. Always pray and not lose heart. Pray without ceasing. Expect your prayers to be answered. Now, what does this mean that we ought always to pray and not lose heart? That we ought to pray without ceasing? 
Does that mean that, that you and I need to spend all of our time here in the sanctuary just sitting in a pew and, and saying prayers 24-7 or that we drop down on our knees and pray all the time? It's not continual prayer as much as it is continuous prayer. We live lives in which we are continuously in relationship, in the presence of God, sharing our thoughts, actions, words, and deeds with him. To pray without ceasing, like to always pray and not lose heart, means that we stay with it. We don't give up. We don't give in. We always pray and don't lose heart. When I selected this text a couple of months ago, I uh, needed to come up with a title for the sermon quicker than I wanted to. And, and so I settled on the title, The Gospel According to Winston Churchill. I'm sure that caused a couple of folks to scratch their heads, but it comes from something that Churchill said in one of his speeches uh, during the middle of World War II. L let me put things in historical context. Churchill became prime minister in May of 1940, when the world was already at war. If you remember the, the story of, the, of, of Dunkirk, how they got the British soldiers out of France and, and, and saved them, that came just a couple of months, a couple of weeks after Churchill became prime minister. Then the Battle of Britain, the, the Blitzkrieg, the air bombing from the Germans in London, took place from July, early July, July the 10th of 1940 until Halloween, October 31st of 1940. So Churchill, soon after becoming prime minister, was faced with just horrific situations. In 1941, in fact, in October of 1941, he was invited by the headmaster of Harrow School, which was a school that he had attended when he was a boy, to come and, and gather in the assembly with the boys. He had done this about a year earlier and just sing the songs of the school to try and cheer Churchill up. After they had sung for a bit, the headmaster asked Churchill to address the boys and he got up and he spoke for a few minutes. And in the middle of his speech, he said something that is one of his best known addresses. This is what he said, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never give in. Jesus told them a story that they ought always to pray and not give up. Pray without ceasing. Even when we feel that we're all prayed out, God invites us to continuously live in an attitude of prayer because God is not like an unjust judge who doesn't care about us, isn't attuned to what's going on with us. Quite the contrary, God longs for you and me, his people, to be shaped in our prayers and never give in, pray without ceasing, never lose heart. Question becomes, how do you do that? How do you and I pray without ceasing? 
How do you and I never give in? How do you and I pray and not lose heart, even when it feels like our prayers have not been answered or are not being answered? Let me, at, at the risk of being simplistic, share with you just a few things that in the course of my own spiritual journey over the last umpteen years, and in conversations with others and things that I've read, just some very simple ideas that I think can help you build those spiritual prayer muscles to keep going. And the first one is, very simply, build a habit. I don't know whether you are a, a night owl or an early bird. I think that if you and I choose to give God the very best time of our day, God is going to honor that. I am a morning person. Uh, and I learned a long time ago that certain things have to happen in my life for me to function effectively. And one of those is to have my private one-on-one -on -one prayer time, devotional scripture reading, reflection, meditation, journaling with God. So I do it first thing in the morning. Now, if, if you're a night owl and uh, you're hearing me say you've got to get up early in the morning while it's still dark, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is if you're a morning person, give God some time in the morning. If you're a night owl, give God your best time. That may be at night. If you peak in mid-afternoon, then give God some of your time in mid-afternoon. But build a habit. Find a time that works for you, for your life, uh, for your family, for your schedule, and give God that time. In his book, the, the Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg says this, Though each habit means relatively little on its own, over time, the meals we order, what we say to our kids each night, whether we save or spend, how often we exercise, the ways we organize our thoughts and work routines, and dare I add in, structure our prayer life, have enormous impacts on our health, productivity, financial security, happiness, and dare I add, our spiritual lives as well. At the risk of being silly, friends, this is Karate Kid. This, this, is, this is wax on, wax off. It's muscle memory. It's working in such a way to build a habit so that it becomes ingrained in you, so that you instinctively know what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Early this morning, I was out on my bike um, uh, in Sandy Springs and Buckhead riding in the pre-dawn darkness. Fear not, I had plenty of lights on front and back of the bike. And I was riding and I realized that I was switching gears on my bike as I approached hills without even realizing I was doing it. It's muscle memory because for the last 16 years, I have ridden these hills. I have learned instinctively what I need to do at certain points along the way. It's the same in our spiritual life. When we build a habit, we structure our lives in new ways. The second thing that I think is good for us to do is to keep a list. Just keep a list. This is uh, a simple little laminated card. It's, it's, it's my own prayer list that I change several times a year, uh, print it out and then laminate it because I spend a lot of time putting my hand on this and I've learned if I don't laminate it, uh, I'm, I'm going to smudge it and, and, and mess it up. But having a list, keeping a list of how I need to pray and what I'm praying for and about 
keeps those muscles moving in my life. Now, a word of caution that I want to suggest, and that is simply that too many of us come to prayer, our, our time of prayer, almost with a shopping list. God, I want this, I need this, give this to this person, bless that person. I wonder if maybe we need to change that from a shopping list to a shaping list and ask God to shape us. Thinking about what's coming up in my calendar through the day, help me to be prepared for this conversation, this meeting, this situation. Help me to respond with the person that I'm having lunch with today. Shape me rather than going to God with a shopping list. So build a habit, keep a list, and finally, structure for success. About 38 years ago, Lib and I were living in Augusta, Georgia. We had a dentist that we went to see. And, and the first time I went to see this guy, um, the hygienist had come in and cleaned my teeth, done everything that needed to be done. And the, the dentist came in and uh, I'd met him, but we chatted for a few minutes and he worked my mouth over and we had some dialogue. And you know, I'm reclined back in that chair and, and finally he says, okay, Chuck, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah. Why is there a fork hanging from the ceiling above me? And he looked up at the ceiling and he looked back at me and, and laughed a little bit. And he said, well, Chuck, that's so you would ask the question. And I can respond by telling you that if you brushed your teeth as often as you washed your dishes, you would never need to come see me. He had that little device in his office that triggered something to help his patients find good dental health and hygiene. I think that you and I need something like that in our lives. We need to structure our habits and our lists for spiritual success. So that when we come to those times when we feel that we're all prayed out or, or that we can't pray anymore, that we just can't do it, then we still have the ability to pray without ceasing. Maybe it's you've got Alexa or Siri queued up to, to remind you at certain parts of the day, hey, Chuck, take five minutes and spend some time in prayer right now. Whatever it is that creates the trigger for you to give you that success, to dive deeper into your prayer life so that you can always pray and not lose heart. All of us reach those points in our lives when we feel that we're prayed out, that we can't pray anymore, that punching the buttons or, or rubbing the lamp just isn't working. That's when I found that my muscle memory kicks in and takes over and enables me to pray even when I feel like I can't pray anymore. You feel like God has forgotten your prayer? promise you, he is not. You may have forgotten it, but I promise you that God hears your prayer and is working to respond, to answer, to draw you ever closer to him so that you can be the person he has created you to be. Never give in, friends. Never give in. Never, 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 never stop praying. Let's pray right now. God, I thank you that 
you are always more ready to hear our prayers than we are to turn to you in prayer. I thank you that every prayer we offer to you, you hear and you answer in your good, great time. I pray for all of my friends who are participating in this service right now. Some at the end of their prayer rope, hanging on to the knot at the very end of it, others climbing their way up. Lord, give them strength, give them courage, and help them to keep going, that they can never give in, but always will turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.